Hey, Daniel here. Thanks for downloading episode 73 of Gunfighter Cast. Before uh, the episode starts, just wanted to say uh, I apologize in advance for my rambling. This was a pretty tough show for me to do. After editing, I realized that I really didn't get across hardly anything that I wanted to and would have changed a thousand things about things I said, but uh hope you get something out of it anyway. All right, here it is. Hello and welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode 73. I'm Daniel Shaw. Here with our co-host, John McGregor. Ran a little zombie 5K today. It was a good time. The wife and I ran it. I, it was actually pretty good practice for a zombie apocalypse, I think. It's not as easy to get away from slow-moving zombies that can't run but can walk really fast and lunch for you than you might think. We had a good time. And uh, tomorrow's the half marathon. Ran a 5K today, doing a half marathon tomorrow, and I'm going to probably have to uh, go to medical on Monday. I have over 15 years' experience as a U.S. Marine infantryman, and John has over 20 years' experience as a law enforcement officer. Combined, we have about 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years of experience of concealed or off-duty carry. Purpose of Gunfighter Cast is to discuss firearms, equipment, and training as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and civilian perspective. Today, we're going to talk about basically the psychology and, uh, I guess, the physiology from a pre-gunfight, during, and uh, short-term and long-term aftermath, just as uh, Aaron Henley suggested on Facebook. We asked it on Facebook earlier, what do you guys want to talk about in this next episode, and had a lot of responses. And it seemed the most popular one was from Christopher Early, and I will read that here shortly. And he got plus one by Aaron Henley and a few other people and had the most likes. So he's the one we picked, or you guys picked. Before we get into that, we got to talk a little bit about our usual stuff. Of course, we've got to uh, mention Aries Gear, our sponsor for uh, this and the rest of our episodes. Aries Gear, www.ariesgear.com. Jake at ariesgear.com. Best belts in the business, still uh, running ours strong every day with no issues. So if you haven't done so already, go out and get your belt. Hopefully those of you who uh, won the, the contest we had a little while ago, hopefully you guys are close to getting your belts as well if you haven't gotten them already. so I've been seeing... Oh, I was just saying, hopefully when those guys do, they'll uh, shoot us a picture or something. Yeah, I've been seeing quite a few posts on the Aries Gear Facebook page. And people talking about uh, they just got their belts and they love it. And they heard about them from Gunfighter Cast. We really appreciate that, folks. If you don't want to take it from us, take it from those guys who have went and bought these belts. Not joking. It really is a great belt. You're going to be in love with it. Uh, also, come join us at our forum uh, at Freedoms Network. Go on there, log into Freedoms Network, and join the Gunfighter Cast group. Love to have you over there to join us in conversations and start new conversations. And talk about whatever you want to talk about. Next thing, something we've been getting emails about a lot for the past year and haven't been able to really move on it very much, but we have t-shirts. Just a quick little explanation of the t-shirt. It's going to have our Gunfighter Cast logo on the front, our Latin phrase on the back, along with the website on the back, and our Aries Gear logo on the left sleeve. And these are going to be really good looking shirts. It's going to have a uh, a gray color ink. This ink will look great on tan, olive, Black, white, if you want a red, we can do it. Uh, yellow, we can do it. Those are pretty much your color choices. These are going to go for $19 each, and that is our cost for shipping and everything. So if you want a t-shirt, it will be $19. No additional shipping charges or anything. It's your flat rate. Uh, the shirts will be 100% cotton. So if you're familiar with 100% cotton shirts and how much or how little they shrink and what size you need, that's pretty much all you need to go off of. For me, uh, you know, I wear a large in every other shirt, and 
these shirts. Large fits me just fine, like all the other ones do. Right now, we're just pre-ordering these. The company has the graphics. They have everything we they need to get going. And as soon as I reach a certain number of shirts, which is not a very high number, I need 41 shirts, and I'm sure we'll get that in no time. Once that happens, then the order will begin, and from then it'll take two weeks, and your shirts will be in the mail. Very good. So I'm hoping to order these things next week, and push it real hard on Facebook to get some orders in. Hoping to order these things next week, and uh, be out here, you know, two weeks from say Wednesday or Thursday. Remember, it is the holiday season. These would make perfect gifts. Absolutely, they really would. All right. All right. Uh, anything else? We need to talk about before we get into our topic. I think we are ready for the uh, the big topic here. All right, let's do it. All right, so to start our uh, main segment, we had Daniel had put up a post asking for some suggestions, and the one that seemed most popular was uh, from Christopher Early, and it reads as follows: With respect to the sensitivity of the topic, I'm interested in the psychology of folks post killing. Says that uh, Dan and I should compare and contrast the military versus law enforcement approach. This would be a good opportunity to talk about the book On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman. I think a lot of folks have a very misguided understanding of the traumatic effects of killing another human being. This could also be a way to help civilians empathize with the warfighters and to help destigmatize post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of people like that. Aaron Henley also commented that he'd like to hear more about the mindset from go time through the action to just after to long term. So that's uh, what we're going to try and tackle today. Yeah, those two pretty much go kind of hand in hand, or they kind of complement each other as far as a top. I normally don't talk about a lot of things on Gunfighter Cast that uh, you know, I've done or been involved with or seen happen. Not because I, I feel that I shouldn't. Uh, if I'm around people and I, I get the opportunity, I like to talk about the heroic things that I've seen other Marines do. Uh, I normally don't like to talk about myself uh, or what, I, what I've done or, or been involved with. Not because I'm upset about it or uh, I can't sleep at night or I have nightmares and I just don't like talking about it. I just feel that there's, uh, like I owe it to somebody else, you know, those the other guys that maybe didn't make it back and stuff. So I, I try to talk more about them than I do myself. So I've kind of held out talking about some of this stuff that I might get into here in this episode just for that reason. And uh, don't make fun of me because <laughs> of some of the things I might say. And you'll probably see what I'm talking about here in a little bit. <laughs> Again, he says he'd like to hear more about mindset from go time through the action to just after to long term. All right, go time. I've talked a little bit before on one show about, I think I was talking about combat mindset. And I was talking about how I was experiencing quite a, a few things that we learn about that happens as far as combat stress. How uh, I was in an AAV and the ramp was beginning to come down. And I had to get up the back of the, the AAV and I fire a rocket at a building. And... We hadn't even seen outside the uh, AAV, and if you're not familiar, it's an amphibious assault vehicle. We were supposed to get out when the ramp direct gets down, shoot a building that we were taking fire from, didn't know how many bad guys were in there, had very little situational awareness on anything, and I was just picturing stepping out of this thing and getting my you know, chest blown up, and I was watching it happen like in my mind, well, you know, precognition, but not the real uh, minority report precognition like Tom Cruise has. I was I was experiencing those things and I was scared and looked around and saw the other Marines were all the younger than me and they were they looked scared than I felt like I looked so I kind of switched that off and realized what was happening you know basically from some classes that I'd had and you know training that I'd set through and this is classroom stuff not like really out doing physical anything it's just classroom being able to recognize these symptoms of combat stress 
and you know, putting those in the back of your mind somewhere so you can actually use the parts of your brain you need to so that those things don't actually happen. And I, I think it was very helpful to, to have heard some of the things before so I was able to recognize what I was doing and that it was normal, but it wasn't a good thing. So what ended up happening was the ramp came down. Uh, I was yelling a little bit, getting the Marines a little motivated about us going out and killing some folks and you know, doing a thing. And uh, then they were all riled up. I don't know if it was fake or real. It was, you know, fake for me at first, but then pretty soon it became contagious and it wasn't fake anymore. I had confidence in myself and confidence in the people around me. Uh, we got out, did what we needed to do, got back in. Nobody got hurt on our team. Uh, after I took that first step, which was the hardest thing for me to do when the ramp was coming down, to step on the ramp when it was about parallel with the ground, that was the hardest thing to do was taking that first step. And after that first step, it was kind of, uh, I guess, game on, if you will. You know, it's just, I don't, like to say my training took over. I think that's just a stupid term. I was thinking a bit differently. I was I was into more action than uh, thinking about what could happen. I was more thinking about what needs to happen right now after you know seeing the battlefield and seeing uh, things that needed to be done and things that needed to be stopped being done. I guess you could say. And that was just one example of I guess the the go time you know for you, Aaron. The action phase. You know that's uh I guess different for everybody. You know I, I talk about how I don't think that I'm some kind of expert teacher now because I actually have been in deadly force encounters and I've shot my weapon at bad guys and killed them and they have shot at me at the same time while I was you know, around people that were doing the same thing as me. I don't feel that I've got it all figured out and I know everything for every situation. Just because I did that, it doesn't make me better teacher for teaching what would happen to you as a law enforcement officer, John, and you had to shoot someone on the job to defend yourself. Uh, I don't think that I can really help you out in my scenario because mine's so much different than yours. And the reason I think it's different is because of the the culture. The culture that I was with, uh, a few hours later, like, dude, that was a great shot, man. I saw that. It was awesome. That's what I was getting. You know, it was like, can we get out again? You know, there's more bad guys. We hear them shooting. We'll take care of them. Let us out. You know, drop the ramp. And that was it all day long. It was no... There was no, uh, why did you do that? Or people shunning you at work, you know, the next day, or if you go in the next day. There was no family members, like, not understanding why you did what you had to do if you had to shoot somebody. You know, again, with you being at, you know, your police job, it's, uh, I I think it's a completely different culture. Now, hopefully you wouldn't run into that at all at work, but, you know, there's been cases, apparently, where that's happened to some people. And I I think it's sad that uh, they just suddenly get labeled you know, something and people are kind of avoid them. I, I didn't experience that at all. And I think that's uh, that's one of the, the strongest things that, that really, you know, helped us out. And I say us because I wasn't the only one dealing with these things. Yeah, I think you might be, uh, I mean, I think you're right. I think it is different if you get to, you know, in the scenario you just described, it's it's kind of something proactive. You kind of had the the time to you know, see what was happening, recognize it, and, you know, your strategy of kind of working yourself up. Confidence is contagious, just like panic is. And if you'd have been panicked, so, you know, that would have turned on to your guys as well. Whereas, um, you know, most of the law enforcement side stuff, it's not, I mean, there are some certain things like, you know, maybe some type of, uh, I don't know, some type of raid situation where you get to choose when something's going to happen and you can do a little pre-planning, but you know, for, for most of your law enforcement stuff on the street, you know, unfortunately we're, we're reactive and you're not going to be able to, uh, kind of work yourself up like that. It's all of a sudden you're going to find yourself most likely behind the curve trying to catch up through that situation. 
And, you know, those are, uh, again, similar to what you said about, you know, how you, you recognize the precognition. You know, some other things that can happen are um, the way time tends to slow down in certain situations. Time may speed up in certain situations. I haven't been involved in a shooting. I haven't shot anybody, so I'm not speaking from as much direct knowledge as you are. But, uh, you know, just an example of, you know, something I've read in part of my research. You know, there was one person who was involved in a shooting, and as it's going down, he starts recognizing that, that time is slowing down. And this is, I don't remember which of Colonel Grossman's books this was from, but he started to recognize that time slowed down. And whereas if you, if you hadn't had any training, you know, you might, you know, might start making you panic thinking that you can't act fast enough and that you're going to get killed or whatever. But because this particular shooter had, you know, a certain level of training, knew what to expect when time slowed down, he kind of recognized that as, you know, I've got all the time in the world. And he got up on one target, took care of it, took care of the next target. It Instead of being a panic situation, it was a somewhat calming situation because he felt like he had all this time to to take care of these bad guys and it worked for him. But you really can't underestimate the uh, the importance of, you know, going out there and doing your research and, and knowing these things and be able to recognize them before or, you know, during or even after a deadly force situation. It really is important. And uh, I read On Killing. That's what another thing he brought up in uh, the question by Grossman. And I've read On Combat years ago. Uh, I actually just after he asked this question, I, I bought On Killing again in audiobook form as I I read I do a lot of audiobook listening and I listened to the first about an hour of it before the show and just got reminded of a lot of things from you know when I read it years ago and I'm telling you that is just it really is a, a very very good book if you've not read On Killing and you carry around the ability to inflict deadly force very very quickly like with a firearm I'd put it at the top of my reading list I really would. If you are concerned at all, which you should be, about the psychological effects of taking a human life, it would be a great idea for you to pick that one up, definitely. You know, then just to give a little bit more, just so I guess you can see where where I'm coming from for, I guess, everything else we talk about. March 23rd, 2003, Battle of Nazaria. It was the uh, bloodiest flight the U.S. has been in since, uh, since the Vietnam War. And from my unit alone, we lost uh, 23 dead and a few hundred severely wounded. A lot of those uh, people that I, I knew well, some of them not so well, but I knew a little bit, and some friends. And that has a huge effect on you as well. Uh, I would hope that, you know, in situations that as a civilian you get into, you're probably not going to have to encounter that kind of stuff. But that was always something that we were worried about as well. You know, I was constantly worried about myself, but I was also worried about uh, those around me. You know, on the 24th, I realized we had gotten word of how many roundabout figure and a few names. And after that, you know, I was. That feeling that I got from that, I was really worried about, I don't want to add, you know, this guy's name to that. I don't want him to, something to happen to him. So every time something was happening, I found myself a lot of times just really thinking like, hey, that's where, you know, so-and-so is. They're taking some heavy fire over there. You know, I'm like, I hope he's all right. And I, I end up worrying about them than actually worrying about what I'm doing right there. And I think that's a problem. I don't know a, you know, a term for it, you know, worrying about your buddy, you know, and that, that, that happened quite often. The other fights we got into, we ended up taking a bridge and uh, got in a pretty good fight. And, and that was an OF-1 and didn't really shoot much after that. And then uh, the second time we went back, we were rolling convoys all the time. And like you said earlier, you know, we had time to kind of prepare for it. 
and everything was kind of, but I, but a convoy, you know, we would go out for a couple of weeks and not ever get a via IED strike at all. Nothing would happen, no small arms fire, no nothing. And then suddenly it would happen. So, of course, complacency begins to set in with some people. And some people, you know, remain true to being in a good, constant state of alertness and uh, looking around and being ready for something. But it's kind of a, you're always wondering when it's going to happen. You know, like any second, is the vehicle in front of me going to disappear from the face of the earth in a huge explosion? Or is it going to be my vehicle and the person behind me is going to be seeing it? So you're always worried about that. And we were involved in a vehicle-borne IED, which was just massive. And it would happen to be between two of our VICs and didn't injure any of us and ended up... uh just flattening a tire on a trailer. That was some shrapnel. And so we were we were there trying to get this trailer worked out, and they had to get EOD to come in and do a post-blast, make sure everything's clear before we roll past. And about this time, the uh, city of Musayib cleared out. Shutters were drawn. Everything was just, it was a busy market time, and everybody just left the whole area. So we knew that was coming. And our interpreter said that uh, over the mosque speaker, they were calling to arms for everybody to come fight the Americans because they were saying we were stuck there. We were here for like six hours in a crazy heat, just waiting for a fight. And, you know, finally it came with, uh, open up with automatic weapons and RPGs. And uh, it lasted for a pretty good while. I had to do some maneuvering and stuff and, you know, hit some buildings and such. And some buildings were taken down by Mark 19 fire. But, uh, you know, it was intense. And, you know, there was deaths, not on our side, but, um, on the other side. And specifically, there was a lot of vehicles that were shot up. When we went down there, we were clearing out the, uh, the street there. Most of the fire are, Doors of cars were shot up from the opposite end. Uh, our fire seemed to be quite accurate on the uh, enemy locations. But the enemy's fire had been really hitting the uh, the far side of the vehicles, but not penetrating all the way through. So it was obviously their fire was putting holes in cars. And, you know, that time and then, you know, some other times in vehicle checkpoints where some other people had to shoot. And, you know, we got in little fights. The uh, You know, I saw children, you know, dead from, from gunfire. And uh, I think that messes with anybody. I don't care who you are. I just... Things like that, just to kind of give you an idea of, I guess, uh, I guess what I've seen or, or done a little bit without trying to have any you know, bravado or whatever. But uh, Aaron also asked about you know, the effects just after, and we touched on that a little bit, talking about the congratulations in my culture, the people that I was with, and other people's culture, it may be a little bit different. For me, I never sat down and felt bad about doing anything that I did. I never did anything that I didn't think was 100% moral, legal, and ethical. I, everything I did, I knew was just. And it was to protect an Iraqi or to protect a U.S. forces, member of the U.S. forces, or um, you know something that, that I can completely, without a doubt, 100% morally justify and uh, legally justify and ethically justify with no trouble. So I don't have issues with that. I have friends that I know that have done things, some people that aren't friends that they can't answer yes to all three of those questions. And I know that they deal with some things that they don't like to deal with. I know we see a lot of things coming back from uh, Vietnam, and Grossman talks about this a little bit, where I can't remember the exact term, but it's a syndrome where you're kind of in it too long and you start becoming unsensitive and you're doing things like uh, you see in Full Metal Jacket hanging out with the, the dead Viet Cong soldier. And, you know, him talking and calling him as his friend and they're smoking cigarettes and he's picking his nose with his hand and stuff like that. And I never saw anything like that myself. Uh, I've seen people and I yelled at them, told them to get the heck away, stop what they're doing. Uh, I went to go take a crap <laughs> off of uh, at a you know security halt that we did. 
went out somewhere and I saw some dogs tugging on something and growling, fighting over something. Upon a little bit closer inspection, there was a shallow grave with a hand sticking up out of the ground. And, you know, the Marines saw that and people wanted to go take pictures and stuff. And, you know, it's like, then you become the bad guy because you make them all stop, <laughs> you know. And uh, we got to revere human life, you know, whether they were bad or, or what, you know, it still doesn't matter. And the people peeing on, you know, tell I hate Taliban as much as the next guy. Probably a heck of a lot more than you do, whoever's listening, for a lot of different reasons. But we can't do things like that. These are human beings. I think that's one thing that it's really, really done to me is before I used to go deer hunting. I would go fishing and cast my net and get a bunch of bait and cut it up without even so much as a second thought. You know, this is what I said earlier that don't make fun of me. But uh, like if there's an insect in the house and my wife's losing her mind saying kill it, I do my best to catch it and let it go outside. I don't like killing insects. I don't like killing But before, I would just step on it or slap it without a second thought. I I, I don't want to go deer hunting again. I'm going to force myself to do it to teach my children how to hunt and how to you know provide food for their families if they have to. And I still love to fish, but I usually practice a catch and release method. And I think, I think that things I've seen and done have changed me in that. I, not just human life, you know, all life. Now, I still don't have any issue eating a big ribeye you know, or anything else. But, uh, you know, I just, there's just a part of me where I really don't want to be involved with killing anything. And I don't want you to, to think for a second that that doesn't mean if a threat arises, someone's coming in my house threatening my family, or I'm out and about and someone threatens my family. It can be switched back on real quick. You know, I have no issue whatsoever when it comes down to it. If I get orders and I'm going to Afghanistan, it'll come right back on. No hesitation whatsoever. I have no doubt in my mind. But unnecessarily, kind of over it. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it, I think, you know, people are kind of fooling themselves if, if they think it's going to be like, uh, you know, like the movies where they're just going to, I don't know, carry a gun for self-defense and, and have to shoot themselves and, there's not going to be any repercussions. We're just not wired to want to kill our own kind. And, you know, regardless of how legally, morally, and ethically justified we are in a certain situation of, you know, taking another life, there's still going to be a consequence. Uh, you know, obviously less of a consequence if it's, if it's something that is, you know, legally, morally, and ethically righteous shooting. But, there's still going to be a consequence. It's just not something, unless you're, you know, sociopath or something, you know, it's. And that's exactly what Grossman talks about in like the first five chapters of On Killing. And he provides a lot of historical evidence that we just don't want to kill other people, other humans, and except for those sociopaths and psychopaths. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. And you know, how many people that were uh, ordered to shoot folks, but they wouldn't, or. Uh, they shot over the heads, or how many muskets in the Civil War that were left, well, the muskets and the muzzleloaders, they were loaded like 22 times, some 25 times. So to make it look like they were firing, they just kept loading. You know, But they did not want to shoot. They didn't want to shoot the people on the other side. And uh, he gives a lot, of, I don't want to quote him on it because I don't remember it all off the top of my head, but very, very interesting stuff. You know, it's like, I don't think I experienced anything like that. Our enemy was quite prominent, and they needed to be shot, and uh, there was no question about that one. 
from what I saw, but there could have been somebody near me that wasn't actually putting accurate fire on the target for whatever reason, which would still provide uh, auditory suppression. He talks about that a little bit too, but not so the effects of you know firing a gun, but he doesn't call it auditory suppression. Exclusion, I think. No, he was talking about uh, the effects on the enemy's mindset oh. of hearing the mm-hmm. gunshots. Like if you have a gun and you shoot just as fast as a bow and arrow and just as accurate, the gun is going to just completely demoralize the bow and arrow. And not only demoralize, but it's going to increase the confidence and do things mentally to the person firing the gun than the person quietly firing a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a really, it's like a, a mental release uh, to fire a weapon. I think we can all agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. But he kind of explains it. It's good stuff. Well, I guess that would cover my long-term, my long-term effects. You know, like uh, I've got some, uh, probably my closest friend, he has, uh, he talks to people and, uh, you know, he deals with some stuff, but you can't keep the guy out of Afghanistan. He's like always signing up every time there's like an opening to go to Afghanistan. He's heading back. And, uh, but, you know, he mentioned PTSD in here. PTSD, I, I am not an expert on PTSD. I, I'm sure that, you know, some doctor would look at me and say that I have some form of PTSD. And others would say, no, he doesn't. There's just so much different stuff out there on PTSD. And I don't know the best way to explain it. The way I see it is if it does something negative, if you're, if it's harming, harmful to your, your well-being, your life, your family, then, you know, it's a negative thing. I, I don't think you would call it disorder if you had something positive come from it. Maybe there's something else. Like to me, I think a positive thing for me is uh, a greater respect for all living things. A, a heightened state of awareness that's going to allow me to protect my family better and my loved ones better. And I got that all from my prior experiences. Those made me the way I am today. Those experiences made me want to do gunfighter casts to get information to you know civilians out there who may be in, involved with a deadly force encounter so to help you be more prepared. So I think from my experiences, a lot of good things have came from it for me and my family. But you know, other people experience things a little bit differently and have a lot of negative things. You know, people take up drinking alcohol, trying to solve problems. People take up, you know, using drugs and doing other things to get their mind off things. And uh, something like that's happening. And, you know, a lot of military folks listen to this show. I mean, I tell you, I've, I've seen people have a real hard time. I've had, you know, friends commit suicide over things. And it's a terrible thing. I, If you're listening, you know, go talk to somebody. Nobody is going to think that you're... Uh, you're less of a person. It, it's nothing wrong with it. I mean, Grossman gives some stats about uh, World War II and uh, how our U.S. forces were in the fight for over 80 days and then they'd get a little bit of rest if they could. And, you know, the British kind of saw what was happening as far as psychological casualties is what Grossman calls it. And uh, they would go out for 12 days and then they would try to get them back for some breaks for like four days and such. And you know, back way back in the day in history, in medieval times, you know, typically they were fighting for like four or five hours at a time and then having long breaks for their next engagements. Uh, Civil War, a lot of times, they'd be right next to the bad guys and talking across the lines and eating and not even worrying about a fight. And uh, just completely downtime, you know, until it's time to fight again. Now, uh, the way he explains it is basically our war fighting capabilities and logistics have outran our, uh, our psychological capacity. And you know, we're out there in a the fight for, you know, like I was talking to John about before we got started this recording, you know, seven months. You know, that was seven months where, like, I don't have to go out for a week, but on a convoy or anything, and I get to sleep in my little crappy bed at night. But there's always that, you know, rocket that's going to come in that we get, like, at least once a day. 
uh, or the mortars that would come in at least once a day. Or this convoy just came up, somebody needs a combat resupply because they're in a fight. Or we've got to go out here and reinforce this, this uh, you know, firm base or something. And suddenly you do have to go do something. And there was never any rest. It was like a, what I would describe it as is like an IV drip of adrenaline. You're not getting that full rush, but you always get a little bit. You know, and that really wears on you mentally. It, uh, it wears you out maintaining that for a long period of time. Yeah, you were uh, talking about how, you know, your situations have kind of made you have an, a heightened sense of awareness, I think is the term you used. And you know, that can be something positive that comes out of it. But, um, you know, that taken too far kind of becomes hypervigilance. And now you're, you're in that condition, kind of like, you know, you were just talking about where, you know, you try and stay in that heightened sense of awareness for a super long period of time. Again, it's going to have a, uh, it's going to take a toll on you. Your your system's not really designed to be running on that slow drip of adrenaline for for long periods of time. And no, very unhealthy cardiovascularly, and but mostly uh, neurologically. Like your your brain's constantly making these chemicals, and your body's getting used to having these chemicals, and then suddenly those chemicals are gone. Whenever you you know are back home, uh, and you're in a safe environment you kind of want to create an unsafe environment. And there's just a lot of negative things that come from that. And that's like, for me, my wife always makes fun of me. I think the way I cope with that is I don't put gas in the car until the last minute, which is a horrible, horrible thing to do. should always keep at least half a tank of gas. I've been working my best to stop doing that for years. I like to push it, you know, push it a little bit. I can, I can make it over here and then get gas on the way back. You know, it's, that's my way of increasing my stress. And uh, I, I guess that's a somewhat safe way to do it. I don't know. But as, you're exactly right. You know, uh, the um, I think some people will try to create stress again. It may be even subconsciously. Don't even realize it. Just to kind of fill that void of uh, they want their brain to make those chemicals. They want that stuff. Their body wants it whether they know it or not. And uh, long-term effects of that is, is really, really bad stuff. I wish I could remember all the terms of the chemicals and all the actual effects that it does. We're talking about a lot of things from uh, all the way from like hearing loss, inner ear trouble to uh, not being able to get an erection, you know, really bad stuff. So uh, where do we go from here? Lastly, we'll hit what Christopher talks about here. He says he thinks a lot of folks have very misguided understanding of the traumatic effects of killing another human being. The difference between us and the bad guys is that the good guys revere human life. The bad guys do not. They see it as an obstacle to get what they want. We can't do that. And for us, if we're revering us law-abiding citizens, carrying concealed weapons, carrying a firearm, not for a gaming purpose, but for actual defense, defending ourselves against other human beings who want to do us harm. We revere the lives that we're protecting, but even that threat, that's another human life that has a mother, that has a father. I'm not saying hesitate for half a second. Once you get an indicator that you are in threat of deadly force or those around you are, you get on the sights, get on the trigger. But the aftermath of that, if it doesn't do something to you and you don't think about it a little bit, say there's probably something wrong with you. So don't expect that you want to go get into shooting. It's like Masada Ayub says, there's no such thing as a clean shooting. You might go to court, get convicted. You might go and get off. You might be violent. It's clearly justified, not even going to court. We're not going to prosecute. Did the right thing all the way. It's still not going to be clean. There's still going to be a family member that just completely shuns you. A friend that's not your friend anymore because you did that. There's going to be, uh, you're going to have some loss. There's not going to be a clean shooting. It's It could be something in your own mind that you battle with something. We can never ever take it lightly, especially us that carry guns every day. 
cannot take killing another human being lightly. It is necessary. No one's going to argue that on this show at times. But uh, we have high morals, and we strap that gun on for one reason, not to do harm, but to stop others from doing harm that would try to do harm to us and ours. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I think it's just, you know, whatever, you know, you choose to defend yourself uh, with a firearm or any other way, there's always going to be a price to be paid. And it's just a question of having the foreknowledge to know that, that there is a price and, and just being willing to pay that price. Yep. All right. So that's um, that's kind of our take on the topic. You definitely don't consider myself uh, kind of an expert on the topic. And, and hopefully if you go away or come away with anything from this, it's that you're going to do some research too on Killing by Dave Grossman, on Combat by Dave Grossman, a couple of good sources. There are other ones out there. Masad Ayub uh, in The Grave is Extreme. Uh, he goes into detail about these things quite a bit, and uh, some of his other books as well. He cites a lot of different things that have happened in court cases and actual individuals that he has known where that shows like different effects of uh, the post-shooting environment, socially, psychologically, and uh, physically. Yeah, so uh, we prepare with uh, you know training to do magazine reloads. We prepare how to clear malfunctions. This is just another area where you know we really should take the time to prepare for. Absolutely. All right, so uh, Daniel, any closing announcements? No, just the usual. Again, come join us over at the Freedom Network. Uh, grab our app off of iTunes and Android. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and Freedoms Network. And send us $19 for a t-shirt. Yeah, if you would like to support us, that would be a, a great way. Although, uh, when we say support, we're actually not making any money off the t-shirts. It's just more, uh, you know, spread the word. Help us uh, get a little bit more exposure. Uh, if you don't want to spend the $19, uh, an iTunes review would be free. Give us a, uh, a review there. That'll help get more listeners as well. Also, uh, I mean, it is um, it is election time. We don't get too deeply political, but um, be a good time. If you're not already a member, join the NRA. Give them your support, Second Amendment Foundation, and any other local firearms groups in your area. Critical time with elections coming up. A lot of uh, a lot of people who support causes that uh, that we support could use the uh, financial resources right now. All right, way to dance around that one and say go vote. Yes, help out. All right. <laughs> if you have any questions, as always, or comments, or would like to suggest a future show topic, just uh, email us at daniel at gunfightercast.com or john at gunfightercast.com. And we would love to hear from you. And thanks, everybody, who posted on the Facebook uh, or commented on the Facebook post uh, suggesting show topics for this week. And we have taken note on all of those and are going to cover those in the next few episodes. All right. So until next time, be safe. 